in the past, you always referred to industries and you said in each industry, we need to build something. But uh, what we also learned is about the boundaries of those industries are more and more merging and blurring. So that's why we call them market ecosystems. You also see how services, how offerings can be connected into a more integrated journey, especially for this ecosystem. And this is what we see at the moment where platforms can play a huge role. It's not just in a single niche, in a single segment of this ecosystem, like the transport or the planning or the recreation to facilitate, but also to help bring everything together into a more integrated journey. Welcome to the Platform Pioneers, a show about the bright minds behind the world's largest digital platforms and the stories of how they built them. I am your host, Kuros, and together we'll uncover the secrets behind creating, scaling, and managing some of the most successful platforms out there. Welcome back to the Platform Pioneers podcast. Today we are joined by Matthias Walter. He's founder and CEO of FastBreak One. Fastbreak One is an interesting business. It has platforms businesses to create a successful future. In the last years, they work with over 250 businesses around the globe to discover, launch, and scale platform businesses based on their strong network effects. And prior to Fastbreak One, Matthias studied platform strategy, business innovation at MIT and developed the Platform Innovation Kit, a methodology to facilitate the ideation, building, and scaling of network-based businesses. So a guest that is right on the money for our Platform Pioneers podcast. Matthias, maybe could you quickly introduce yourself, tell us a bit about your background and the journey that led you to become the CEO of Fastbreak One. Hello, Zürich. Thank you for the invite. Happy to be here and talking about the journey, but also exchange and discuss with you all the topics around platforms and marketplaces. Yeah, as you introduced, I'm currently CEO and founder of Fastbreak One, a venture studio specialized on platforms and marketplaces. So we work very deeply together with corporates, so traditional companies to yeah, find new opportunities around platforms, but also to together to scale them. We call this co-creation mode. So we also co-invest into those platforms and build them, scale them over some years until they become really successful companies. You ask about my journey. So I started to study business and I'm not really a business guy. I'm not really a, an IT guy. I'm something in between, but I'm always refer back to myself as an entrepreneur. So this is also what I discovered when I went to the university, always loved to create new businesses, also my own businesses. And around 20 years ago, when I went to the university, so it's been a while, I also started in my first side business. This was a marketplace around sports shoes. I never heard about marketplaces and platforms at this point in time, but I created one. It was about ratings of shoes. So I worked very closely together with Nike, Adidas, and all the other big brands. I also worked together on the other side with the stores who sold the shoes. And we became a very independent label for rating of sports shoes. Nowadays, you have a lot of ratings and scorings incorporated in each online shop. But 20 years ago, it was something very unique and something really yeah, fancy. So this was my first, yeah, my first step into the marketplace and platform business. It was really good. It was never really went through the roof. It was only a side business. I also followed my corporate career. This was my other leg. 
standing in the corporate career path. And I worked for Daimler, I worked for SAP, I worked for T-Systems. And when I joined T-Systems, I've been responsible for portfolio management and new business creation, new business innovation, not only for T-Systems, but also for the customers. And this was about 10 years ago. And at this point in time, I also read a book called Platform Revolution, a very famous book around platforms and marketplaces. And I learned about the basic concept of platforms. This what they are talking about, the orchestration, the facilitation between supply and demand. This is exactly what you have done before in all of your side businesses. So I learned by incident, <laughs> by reading the book, more about the theory behind it. I'm always a very structured guy, a methodology guy. So I love methodologies and trying out a lot of things. I'm a huge fan of the business model canvas, lean canvas, value proposition stuff, etc. And we use them a lot in our business model innovation lab. But I also figured out when you start to design multi-sided businesses like platforms, then all the classic tools are not really suitable. There's something is missing. So you can try it, but halfway through you learn something is missing. And this was the the date and the birth of the Platform Innovation Kit. So I started to create my own methodology, as said, around 10 years ago. Since then, we further developed the Platform Innovation Kit. It has been published around the world, used by thousands of startups, thousands of corporates, thousands of business schools. I'm also teaching at business schools the principles of multi-sided businesses, how to do the innovation. So since 10 years, I'm fully bought into the topic of platforms, marketplaces, working together with corporates, but also with startups and try to help a lot of businesses to find the right way to unlock network effects. Oh, I mean, that's an impressive kind of journey that led you to there. And it, it tells me that you're really deep in the material and obviously extremely interesting for the audience to hear. What is, it, what is that mission? What is that one thing that's missing? where you uh, with Fastbreak One can help, um, be it corporate platforms or be it startups. What is that one thing? Because I have a theory about one thing or about a lot of one things, but I would definitely uh, love to hear it from you. At the end, for me, it always comes down to one point. This is the entrepreneurial understanding and the entrepreneurial skill set. So a lot of corporates, they have a lot of resources. They have money, they have technology, they have access to customers, a lot of stuff, what all the startups would dream of if they could have it um, would give them an, an, a head start and the corporates they have it they have all the assets they have all the resources but what they lack is a bit of the entrepreneurial skill set and this is what we bring to the table we are serial entrepreneurs we have done this multiple times so we I always compare this to sports yeah when you go one time to the gym then okay you get a bit better but when you have consistency in everything, then you become much, much better. Then you build your muscles. And the same is also with your entrepreneurial muscles. When you do uh, building yeah, multiple businesses, you strengthen your entrepreneurial muscles and then you become better and better in what you're doing. That This is the same also for building businesses. So if you learned how to build and what is really important for building a successful network effects-based business, then you can multiply then you can take this to the to the other businesses and help them to to apply the same things and this is what we bring to the table methodology the understanding but also of course some some other parts like technology development marketing business development investment etc but basically what we bring is the entrepreneurial understanding mindset methodology 
That's super interesting. And that is something, obviously, being a founder myself, that we try to believe is a differentiator. If you look at platforms, multi-sided businesses, as you mentioned, what is your current focus? Because that is a relatively broad area that I've also seen. There is obviously B2B, B2C. There is platform as in software platforms. There is marketplaces. There is wholesalers that sometimes call themselves marketplaces. What is your um, current focus and what are the, the big trends that you're seeing in the market? Maybe Maybe kicking it off with this one. Yeah, very good question. So when I reflect a bit and look into the past, then I think last 15 to 10 years, uh, we have seen the rise of the marketplaces. So a typical model, just orchestrating between supply and demand. And nowadays, you cannot find a niche anymore where it isn't a, a marketplace already there, especially in B2C. We also have seen the rise of marketplaces in B2B. So also in every kind of industry, in every kind of business, you find marketplaces. But what we see further is now the integration. So the integration between marketplaces on the top, where you bring supply demand together with other services and to form a more like an integrated service journey for the customers. And this is especially true in the B2B field. It's not just about buying things, but also about how to integrate the processes, how to integrate everything with additional services, etc. So it's it's more like an, for example, an marketplace-enabled SaaS business or a SaaS-enabled marketplace business. So we always have those integrated and hybrid business models, and this is a big trend we see in B two B, and this is also where we focus on right now, helping those B two B companies to find the right mixture, the, the right hybrid model. Beside that, there are also other trends like Web3 or circular economy, etc., where you also can apply all of those platform economics, platform-based business model concepts. But for us right now, the hot topic is really B2B platforms. I mean, that's super interesting. And that's something that I've observed as well, obviously from a payments and finance perspective over the last one or two years. Maybe if you could walk us through what is a typical journey uh, of such a player? Is it more that a B2B marketplace moves into more SaaS offering? Is it that a SaaS offering also wants to now offer marketplaces, wants to be able to transact? What is kind of like, maybe you could walk us through a journey of a typical um, of your platforms again another great questions we also try to answer this question by conducting a study so in the last years we conducted a study of b2b platforms in europe and we analyzed or we identified over 1000 b2b platforms so the <laughs> the main driver was because i always have seen in linkedin and other pages, graphics like Europe is lagging behind America and Asia when it becomes to platforms. So you see the typical graphics. So big bubbles in Asia, big bubbles in America, but only a small bubble in Europe and everybody's crying. And I said, hey, but I can't really believe that because when I talk to corporates and when I look at the market, I see a lot of marketplaces. So maybe something is wrong with the graphics, maybe something else is wrong with the study i can't really believe it and this was the birth where i started to say let's conduct our own study we need to find out we need to trust our own numbers and that's why we discovered over 1000 b2b platform b2b not b2c b2b mm -hmm. platforms in europe and we analyzed them and in the end 
we boiled it down to 400. And we also asked one key question was, what is the reason or what is the journey of such marketplaces and platforms? Is it starting with a marketplace and then becoming a SaaS business or is it the other way around? So coming back to your question, we just created a thought framework around platforms, which we call the value stack. The value stack consists of three layers. The top layer is the engagement layer, where you bring supply demand together, where you have the engagement between all the participants. Um, the second layer we call intelligence layer. When you collect a lot of data as a platform, then you can analyze the data and not only it helps you to improve your business, but also you can create new value for the users. For example, a recommendation engine is a very basic thing. So you analyze what other users are buying and then you can recommend it to others as well. So it's just a very basic concept. And the third layer is the infrastructure layer. So infrastructure means it could be physical infrastructure, but it could be also a software infrastructure becoming like an operating system for the industry. So for example, when you look at Amazon, Amazon started on the engagement layer with their marketplace as a bookstore and then as a marketplace, etc. etc. And then they continued to grow also to build capabilities on the intelligence layer with Alexa, with recommendation engines, etc. And now they have also built up capabilities in the infrastructure layer when it becomes to logistics. So they have their own logistics, warehouses, etc. So of course, they could rely on DHL, Hermes, etc., all the other external logistics providers, but then said, okay, no, we need to invest in our own infrastructure. So they now have the capabilities to also run logistics for others. So they are very strong on all three layers, but they started at the top. And so we analyzed also the 400 B2B platforms. What is their status? And then we found two things. So now closing the loop, to back, back to your question. Um, when it comes to a startup, in 99% of the cases, the startup starts at the top of the value stack. So they start with a marketplace. Mm -hmm. And then they continue to grow their business with a SaaS business, for example, and then maybe to invest further into infrastructure. When it comes to a corporate, so an incumbent company and a traditional company, then it's the other way around. So they start bottom to top. They have the infrastructure already. They have a lot of assets. They have maybe logistics. They have sensors. They have other kind of infrastructure things. Then they build up services on top. So they invest into the intelligence layer and then they build up the marketplace. So it's the other way around. So two observations. Startups start from the top to bottom, corporates from the bottom to the top. And the second observation is they all meet in the middle. <laughs> so right. the intelligence layer is in the middle. So everything, everybody is investing into the intelligence layer. And this is also what we see a very famous example I always bring is Test Exchange. Maybe you have heard about them. It's a B2B platform. Mm -hmm. And Test Exchange helps you to find the right test laboratory. So if you have a product like an iPhone or whatever, and you need to run some product tests, then you need to find a laboratory to run the tests to get a certificate for waterproofness or whatever, reliability stuff, etc. This is what you can find on the marketplace, on the engagement layer. But they also found out the management of those tests for a product company. In the old days, it has been done by, they used Excel, <laughs> kind of standard. Uh, this is nothing modern, right? So they created the software 
And now the software business for how to manage all of the tests. So if you have a product like an iPhone, then you have to run thousands of tests and to manage all of them. Then the, the software is the bigger business than the marketplace. So it's more like a marketplace enabled SaaS business for them. And this is the typical pattern we see right now, always those hybrid models and a big trend also in B2B and for corporates and so on. So yeah, this is the big trend and the big pattern we see in the market. It's an extremely interesting trend. And I think it's great that you can back us up with data. So you got the startups working a lot on the engagement layer, trying to work down. You got the corporates working their way up. And probably you have also seen that. How does collaboration work? between the startups that tend to be maybe a bit better at the top of that, that pyramid and corporates? Is it more like you have to build everything yourself? Is there M&A activity? Is there collaboration? Like who's going to win these journeys in your opinion or maybe in your experience? Um, <laughs> good point. So what we see in the market is that only 20% of the bigger corporates are now succeeding with building up new businesses. They are very good in optimizing their core business But really building new businesses, only 20% are really building significant new businesses. They all try with accelerators, incubators, and other fancy models, but they are not really successful. The other thing is what the corporates do is they invest into startups because they see that 80% of those startups are now succeeding by building new businesses. So why not buying them? So they are reaching out to them, try to incorporate them by mergers and acquisition activities. But this also has some risk attached. So it's not always successful. So yes, the bigger corporates, what we see is they now understand much better what are marketplaces, what are platforms. They also now learn how to build them. They also know it's a long-term game. We need to invest into the long term. It's not just one, two years. And then we see a return of investment. So we need at least five years, whatever. So it's really a long-term game. They also understand we need to be careful how to select startups, buy them and integrate them. So for the integration, we need a long-term vision, a long-term plan, and then let's integrate them. But it's still very valid to buy those startups and to incorporate them. So for example, we work very closely together with IKEA. They also follow a bigger platform approach right now. And they have also bought TaskRabbit. So it's also a marketplace where you can find service providers who can help you to remodel your house or whatever and do all the logistics or whatever for you, all the smaller tasks. It's also an asset they have bought and now incorporating into a bigger platform vision, bigger platform thing. So there's still an opportunity. And the same is also what we see with other companies. Yeah. I mean, that's qu quite interesting because specifically over the past probably year or so, the question of um, do you have the growth, the scale on the startup side or the corporate side to actually sustain has arisen more and more. So the question of collaborating, of generating scale or kind of like combining powers has been more and more prevalent. Maybe um, a question that is connected to this one. If you look across all types of industries, you've said, hey, there's actually no really wide spot anymore for marketplaces, be it B2C, be it B2B. And you've said like, uh, but only if you look at corporates, 20% are really, really successful. Which industries are more kind of leaning towards being marketplace ready? And which industries, marketplaces tend to be more difficult 
be it from the startup side, be it from the from the corporate side, in your experience, kind of like looking across the market. Yeah, we also changed a bit our perspectives on markets. In the past, you always referred to industries and you said in each industry, we need to build something. But uh, what we also learned is about the boundaries of those industries are more and more merging and blurring. So that's why we call them market ecosystems. And those market ecosystems have a much broader scope so, for example, when you talk about health or when you talk about mobility or when you talk about consumptions, entertainment or whatever, then those are market ecosystems. And with this broader definition and broader scope, you can better observe how will first this ecosystem evolve in the next five to 10 years based on the user needs. So who are the key users in this uh, ecosystem and how will their needs and demand change over the next 10 years so for example when you talk about mobility is there still the need there to own a car or is mobility defined in different ways so who are the users what is the demand and then when you talk about the ecosystem you can also also apply in kind of a journey character to the ecosystem so when you do a trip when it comes to mobility, you need to plan the trip, you need to conduct the trip, but you also do other things like entertainment, socializing, etc. So there's a lot of more things or healthcare. So you can also do fitness when you do your journey. Yeah? So you mentioned you go to a business trip in the next days. So it's not just for you to fly there, but you also need to stay there. You also need to meet people. You also need to do maybe a bit of fitness or a recreation. So there's a lot more attached to this trip. And when you have this product understanding, then you also see how services, how offerings can be connected into a more integrated journey especially for this ecosystem. And this is what we see at the moment where platforms can play a huge role. It's not just in a single niche, in a single segment of this ecosystem, like the transport or the planning or the recreation to facilitate, but also to help bring everything together into a more integrated journey. A bit more like a super app. So you use one app instead of 10 apps. Now you have on your iPhone or your phone, you have 10 apps just for your trip, one for the flights, one for your taxi, one for the hotel, one for fitness and whatever. But in the future, you maybe have only one or two apps combining True. everything into an yeah, integrated journey. True. That's kind of like uh, you've seen that in other apps or, or areas of life. And it's definitely the kind of like how things will develop. If you maybe, uh, as we're almost at the end, our counterpart, if you're thinking five to 10 years ahead, what's that one trend that keeps you up at night? What's that one unconventional prediction that you love to think about when you think really long-term future? Oh, good question. Good question. Uh, unfortunately, I have two in my mind and I cannot say which also one good. has a higher priority. On the one hand side, it's the sustainability aspect. So I love this, this whole topic of circular economy. And what we see at the moment is a lot of companies luckily are investing in those circular economy principles. They try to really build loops. And what we see is right now is a lot of products are made out of recycled plastic. But at the end, <laughs> your shoes or your jacket are still made out of plastic. It's just recycled plastic, but they are still 
made out of plastic. So it's good that you reuse the plastic, but <laughs> they are still made out of plastic. The question is, what is the second and third generation of your jacket? So I really love to see how platforms and marketplaces and the whole network effects can really play out their potentials in helping true, true loops or building true loops of material, of product building, etc. So for example, Adidas is a future craft. They have invested a lot and now you can buy shoes. If you finished wearing the shoes, running shoes, and you finished after, I don't know, 500 kilometers wearing them or 1,000, then you can send it back to Adidas. They shredder the material, the whole shoe, and create a new shoe made out of, out of this material. So they created a complete 100% loop, and then you send it back to them, to, to you, as a new shoe, uh, and then you can wear it again and send it back, etc. So you have a full full loop. Very interesting. So the whole circular economy topic is really, really interesting. It's really important for us. And uh, I think platforms can play a huge role here. And the second trend, which also keeps me up at night, is is Web3. So a bit more, this is more about independency. So what we see is also, and this is more also a political thing, the boundaries between our countries are more and more blurring. So in the last two, three, four hundred years and going back, then we created our, our earth and we shaped it by boundaries around our countries. So we have Germany, France, etc., Europe, we have the whole world and Asia, etc. But in the last 100 years, the speed of doing business together it was so immense. Now we have really interconnected ecosystems when it comes to to the world. And so we see that the Asian people work together with, or we rely 100% on the Asian people. So we buy a lot of stuff from Asia, it comes from China, etc. So you buy it on Amazon, but in three days it's here made in China and the same is with, with America. So everything is really, really connected. And now what we see is also that this whole topic is now moving into the Web3 space with Metaverse, etc. So in the Metaverse, you have no boundaries anymore. We have one currency, you have digital rights, you have ownership of digital things, you have virtual worlds where you can walk around. So everything is now moving into this virtual reality in this Web3 Metaverse, etc. And how can this work? Yeah, we are still living with our bodies in physical <laughs> houses and in countries, but our mind maybe is somewhere else, maybe like the Matrix or whatever. And this is still fascinating. How can also platforms play a role in facilitating, orchestrating our virtual lives and bring our physical world into a digital world and transfer that with the cryptocurrencies with the digital rights what we see with nfts etc there's a lot of stuff happening at the moment this is also a big trend i'm sure next 20 30 years we see a lot of new things popping up so yeah. also very fascinating <laughs> i mean these two really long-term large trends i think are a great kind of like closing word but yes honestly thank you so much for being on the show this was amazing specifically kind of like these really high-level trends and all the statistics around us. It was really a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you also for inviting me. And the same is also, I'm now inviting you to our podcast in the yeah. other way around. And we, then we can 
have a deep dive into the financial aspects, etc., where you are the expert and we can discuss it. So thank you for your invite, my invite in joining our podcast, and, and then all of our guests can learn a lot from you, from us. Perfect. So it's very good. Thank you so much. <laughs>